Welcome to the First Church Message of the Week podcast. Thanks for listening in. We are kicking off our No Longer Strangers sermon series that focuses on the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians teaches us about living as a community of faith that is not without conflict, but is full of faithful followers of Jesus who long to move from strangers to God and one another into embracing the gift of a family of faith. As children of God, we are all adopted into the family of faith. This invitation is ongoing, limitless, and a persistent reminder that we are called to welcome one another in Christian love. In this message of the week from July 25th, Pastor Jen Tyler shares from the first chapter of Ephesians how we are to welcome others with the abundant love of Christ. Here is the First Church message of the week. starting a new sermon series titled No Longer Strangers, in which we want to spend some time talking about the different places that we come from in our lives, the different types of people that we encounter or are, and the different ways that through the love of God, we are all united and are called not to be strangers to one another, but to be part of one family in the body of Christ. And we're going to talk about not being strangers uh, and, and the ways that we come together and the ways that we are family, as Sandy talked about, by reading together through the book of Ephesians. So starting today through the end of August, we're going to read the book of Ephesians and talk about one chapter a week. And so unlike how last time we did a series on the book of Acts, I had reading plans for you. This time we didn't print them because I hope you can remember this. We're going to study Ephesians for six weeks. And guess how many chapters there are in Ephesians? Anybody want to guess? There's six. Okay, good. We're listening. Good. So there are six chapters. So I want to invite you to read one chapter a week as we read together and learn from some of these stories and these letters of the early church about how we can live as a body of Christ. And so as we dive into this book tonight, I find it worth noting that this letter as a whole is about living together in the midst of our human differences. The person who wrote this letter was a Jew who wrote to a largely Gentile audience. That means that he was writing to people who had for a very long time been considered outsiders. But for the first time in their known history, they were invited not to be outsiders who were strangers, but to come into the fold and be a part of community and a part of the body of Christ that follows and loves and lives into the greatness of Jesus. And so together throughout this letter, we are offered a glimpse of what it looks like to break down some of those walls that divide us in order that we can live united. And so in this way, we are going to focus on the ways that we can embrace these promises that God makes to us in order to better understand and live into the purpose and the grace of God, the hope that God represents for our lives and for the church. And I want to talk about some of these specific invitations and how we can live into them by reading together from the first chapter of the book of Ephesians. It's kind of a heavy chapter, kind of a heavy book, if we're honest. Um, But it opens with the writer of this letter talking movingly and confessionally about God. So I want you to follow along with me. The words are going to be on the screen here in front of us. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, says... Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, to be holy and blameless before him in love. He destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his gracious grace that he freely bestowed upon us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and insight, he has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he has set forth in Christ. As a plan for the fullness of time to gather up all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Christ, we have also obtained an inheritance, having been destined according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to his counsel and will, so that we, who were the first to set our hope on Christ, might live for the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and had believed in him, were marked with the same seal of the promised Holy Spirit. This is the pledge of our inheritance toward redemption as God's own people to the praise of his glory. Here ends our scripture reading. Won't you pray with me? Holy and loving God, in this time, might you open our ears that we might hear you more clearly. Open our eyes that we might see you more clearly and our hearts that we might love you more deeply as you rid us for many and all distractions, so that all that we see and hear and know and feel and speak are of you. Amen. So as we jump in tonight, I want to start by pointing out that tonight more than usual, maybe this is the case for you some nights, but sometimes one of the things that I love most about worship is the music that we bring forth. Can we just pause for a second and give thanks for how incredible our musicians are, right? I mean, is it not, or do we not have the most amazing musicians? This wasn't planned, by the way, so they didn't know I was going to say this. But I'm always moved by not just the music, but the words that we sing. One of the things Methodists are known for is the ways that we sing our faith. And I have been thinking since we started with our opening song about that overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Is that not one of the most miraculous gifts we have ever been given? Is it not one of those gifts that we not only are given but are invited to share so much so that it's hard to not let the people around us also feel and sense that love? That, to me, is one of the best ways to make those strangers next to us become friends, by sharing the love of God with all we meet. Sometimes we know that's easier said than done, but in this passage we have from Ephesians, well, it's full of a long list of ways that God invites us to embrace and live into the countless blessings in our lives. And sometimes I think we know that that's easier said than done. I came across a quote a couple of weeks ago from a, 19, a writer in the 1930s. She was a writer and a mystic. Evelyn Underwood was her name. Um, and she wrote this line that I've kind of been pondering. She wrote, I desire to humbly suggest that the interesting thing about religion is God. And people are hungry for God. 
People are hungry for God. Friends, are you hungry for God? I wonder how we are living into that hunger, how perhaps we are working to satiate our hunger, not that we can ever be filled with that, but that we always, I don't know about you, the more I am satiated with the love of God, the more I want it, but also the more I want to give it away. And there are a lot of ways that we are called and invited to do this. But I want to pause for a moment and point out that if I'm honest, when I read this statement about the most interesting thing about religion being God, I also can't help but to hear that inner voice inside me that says, I wonder how true that really is for most of us, right? Because I want it to be true. I do. But are we really living into that? Because the truth is, I think it goes a little bit against what feels natural to some of us, not against what's natural in terms of faith, but sometimes we uh, mix up our faith and our religion a bit, don't we? Because when it comes to religion, we got a lot of preferences, right? I prefer to be a a United Methodist. I prefer to focus on things like our mission and the ways that we live into that, I prefer to do some things like, well, some of my preferences are a little tedious, like I prefer to sit in the front pew in the corner. Thank you very much. Anybody else have some preferences about our religion or the way we live into life as a church that maybe aren't as important as we let them be? But I got to tell you, a few times I've been asked to sit over there for whatever reason, and it throws off my day. Isn't it funny how these little things that don't really matter, that don't directly impact our worship of God, they can impact us perhaps more than we want them to, right? And both in lighthearted and in serious ways, I appreciate the way the book of Ephesians reminds us that whatever our preferences are, whatever details of our religion we might have strong opinions or feelings about, The truth is, none of them are as important as we sometimes let them be. What's actually important is the big picture, the picture that we are invited to live into with all of who we are as we embrace that overwhelming and never-ending, reckless love of God. In the book of Ephesians, we are invited to take those things that hinder us and to let them go, to make ourselves right with God, to remember that above all else, in its purest of forms, our religion isn't about us. It's about God who is at our center stage and who has done more for us than we can ever begin to imagine. Because as this passage tells us, we know that God has blessed us, God has chosen us, and God has adopted us in Christ. God has brought us together to call us family. And not only are we called family, but when we come together, we're a different kind of family than maybe some of us come from, right? Because sometimes family is difficult. But one of the glorious, beautiful things about the family of God is that God has chosen us. God has forgiven us. God has given us abundant grace. And God promises us that in the right time, God will make all things in heaven and earth known to us. In God's family, all is good. Not always easy, but good. 
And if that weren't enough, this this passage goes on to promise us even more still. It tells us that not only are we adopted as one in Christ, but that in Christ we have also obtained an inheritance. Inheritance is good news, isn't it? What do you think of when you think of an inheritance? Anybody? Because I know what I think of. I hear the word inheritance and I cannot be the, okay, some of you are already laughing at me. I cannot be the only one when I hear inheritance who thinks of the kind that means that my late uncle Billy, who was my fourth cousin twice removed that I never even met, who left me $10 million, right? I mean, that's a pretty good inheritance, isn't it? Now, it's the kind that is clearly unrealistic but it's a good one. And it's fun to think about how we'd spend or give away that kind of money, isn't it? Inheritance is a good thing. Now imagine with me, when we hear of that kind of inheritance, and I think we can all agree that would be really nice, right? I don't think I know anybody who thinks that would be bad. So you take how good that would be, and then you multiply it. What if the inheritance that we're being offered here is way better than that. I mean, not just two or three or ten times better, but so much so that we can't even begin to wrap our minds around it. Because here, this inheritance that we're being offered is not just the kind that we can be offered in a lifetime, but it's the kind that is offered to us through an eternal lifetime that never ends. Never ends. In Ephesians 1, we are assured that God, our creator, Jesus, our savior, longs to bless us that much. That we are promised a long list of blessings. We are promised abundance and grace and love and freedom and forgiveness and riches and more. Now, I know the chances are that most, if not all of us, have heard some of these promises at some point along our faith journeys. But to put them all together in one place, well, it feels a little overwhelming to me to think about all of them at once. And it makes me wonder if when writing this letter, the letter of Ephesians, it seemed obvious to the author that those who are reading it or hearing it as we have today, I wonder if they might have a hard time believing some of these promises. A hard time believing that they were, that you are beloved by God. Maybe you've been there before. Maybe you're there today. Because I know for some of us, it's hard to hear about how blessed we are in Christ because we know something else. That no matter how blessed we are by God, no matter how many blessings are poured into our lives, life is still going to be hard sometimes. Life is not going to be without pain, without suffering, without grief or despair or failure and mistakes. But the thing is, to be blessed or chosen or adopted or filled with grace, none of these things are the opposite of struggle. Instead, they are holy and precious and good, not in spite of our shortfallings or our struggles or our imperfections, but perhaps because of them. They are good news because we are assured that no matter what you have done or left undone, God loves you and offers you these gifts anyway. 
Because these promises today remind us that while none of us are perfect and we all fall short of the glory of God, there is good news that this abundant grace and these countless blessings of God are not things that you can earn, but that are poured freely from God who loves you too much to withhold them. And the best news, in my opinion, is that that's true not just for you, but also for each and every one of our neighbors, even the ones we struggle to love. God loves them already enough for us. And so whether we have come today hesitant to accept this truth and needing to be reminded of it, or freely and readily willing to accept and celebrate and live into these promises, I wonder if we can't all agree on one thing that we hold in common as we read these words. Hopefully more than one thing, but at least one thing. And that is that when we think of being blessed by God, I imagine similar images come to mind. What do you think of when you think of someone who lives into and embraces these blessings of God? The kind of person who doesn't have a stranger, especially I think of children, right? Uh, I think of little Silas, whom we baptized this morning. There was not a stranger in this church this morning as he ran up and down those aisles and smiled at every person he met. And when I think of even that example or many others that come to mind, the thing that ties them together is the fullness of joy in each and every one of those people. Do you know those people who are so full of joy that even when they're having a bad day, they can't help but to exude joy upon you? Hold that picture with me for a moment. And imagine that that deep joy is different than the kind of happiness we all experience. It's different than having a nice, fleeting, passing moment. It's more than that fleeting that comes and goes. Joy and living into the fullness of God, what God wants for us in our lives is more holistic. It is a kind of gratitude that reflects not just that fleeting happiness that comes and goes, but it reflects true contentment in God, even when our days sometimes feel long or difficult. Throughout Scripture, the Apostle Paul is a great example of that kind of long-lasting joy. He suffered a lot in his life, and yet it was from within even the prison walls where he lived under horrific conditions that he spoke of having great joy and contentment in God. Contentment that came because even though he had all the reasons in the world to lament and to be a bit of a grouch, he believed these promises before us, that God was still with him, that God's grace was abundant in his life, and that God loved him and you more than we could ever begin to imagine. These gifts, Paul reminds us again and again and again, are the greatest truths in the universe. And so he sought to live not according to his immediate circumstances, but in accordance with joy, the kind of joy that he couldn't keep to himself. A kind of joy that in sharing it with others was an active choice he had to make every single day. And that's kind of how it is, isn't it? It's not always easy, but joy is a choice because we've all had hard stuff and sometimes we've all been guilty. When I have a hard day, don't you hate it when you turn and snap at somebody you love? 
Because I've been there. I've been there this week, to be honest. But we have a choice in those moments to pause and say, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to snap. Here's why I'm a little angry right now, and now I'm going to be better. Every time these circumstances come upon us, we have a choice to live differently, to not let the circumstances of our lives take the joy within us away. And it makes me wonder what some of those things are in our lives that threaten our abilities to live with joy. What are some of those things that help us in our lives to ask it differently, to live for the praise of God's glory? I referenced a song in worship this morning, a song by the artist by the name of Paul Thorne, who um, wrote a song once, and as I said this morning, forgive me for the poor grammar in the song, uh, but he wrote in the final verse of his, one of his songs, he wrote, life is so short, none of us are here for long. In a perfect world, we can all get along. So step out of the darkness, every woman, child, and man, and open up your window to let the, love of lo- the light of love shine in. And, this is my favorite part, don't let nobody rob you of your joy. Don't let nobody rob you of your joy. That's great advice, isn't it? I wonder, what are the things the places or the people or even the lies in our lives that rob us of our joy, that keep us from opening up our windows and letting the light of love shine in? What are those places of darkness in our lives that we might need to step forth from in order to let that light shine in? Because for each and every one of us, I imagine the answer to these questions is going to be a little different. But even so, I can't help but to believe that they have more in common than apart. Because these, these commonalities that we have, they begin with the fact that we have to be rooted not in those fleeting, happy emotions that often accompany joy but we have to be rooted in the source of joy itself. We have to be rooted in God, our Father, who has adopted us in Christ, who invites us to know that the interesting thing about our religion is not the place or these people or the things that we do or even a preacher you could give or take. The most interesting thing about our faith is God who pours forth these abundant gifts that we cannot begin to wrap our heads around, that we cannot begin to measure, that we cannot begin to even fully accept in our own limitations. But God wants us to work on it anyway. God wants us to begin anew each and every day by believing and embracing these promises before us. Acknowledging that even on the days that we stumble or we fall short, we have an opportunity to right ourselves with God who blesses us abundantly, who offers us forgiveness, and who longs for us to see ourselves as God sees us, as beloved children of God, adopted by Christ, and lavished in grace. Friends, when we believe and live into these promises, it is then and only then that we truly begin to live into and better understand 
that these abundant blessings are not simply for the sake of our own joy, but they are there for us that we might generously share them with all we encounter. That we might live in such a way that the community around us can't help but to know and embrace that joy alongside us as we share the love of God with them. And as we work to live in a community, in a church, in a town, in a neighborhood, where indeed we no longer have strangers among us. Friends, let's pray together. Holy and loving God, we ask this day anew that you would continue to Help us live into the fullness of your light and your love, of your overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love that you pour into each and every one of us. God, we ask that you would help us to embrace these gifts with joy and share them with all we meet. In the name of Jesus Christ, your Son. Amen. Thanks for joining us for the First Church Message of the Week. To stay connected, subscribe to this podcast and follow us on Facebook. For more information on our church calendar, visit our website at watertownfirst.church. This has been the first church.